Hello, and thank you for downloading this program from Starry Decisis Radio. My name is Mark Tottenham. Normally in this podcast, I discuss recent decisions of the United Kingdom Supreme Court. Regular listeners will have noticed that I have not recorded any podcasts for the past couple of months, but I hope to resume them shortly. In the meantime, I have decided, as something of a personal indulgence, to cover a historic case, not of the UK, but of a United States federal court, concerning an Irish novel, and whether it was too obscene to be imported into the United States. The novel is James Joyce's Ulysses, one of the most influential novels of the 20th century. It is set in Dublin, which is my own native city, on the 16th of June 1904. That date is now celebrated every year by Joyce enthusiasts as Bloomsday, and the reason that I'm releasing this podcast now is so that it will be available by Bloomsday of this year. It's not easy to summarise Ulysses, but the novel primarily concerns three Dublin characters and their interactions and inner thoughts on a single day. The characters are Leopold Bloom, his wife Molly Bloom, and a young man named Stephen Daedalus. They are loosely based on the Ulysses of ancient Greek myth, his wife Penelope and his son Telemachus. In the novel, Stephen Daedalus, who was based on Joyce himself, is a well-educated young man who is deeply troubled by a number of matters, including the recent death of his mother, his rather curmudgeonly father, his disavowal of his Catholic faith, his resentment of English rule over Ireland, and certain financial difficulties. Leopold Bloom is an older man of Jewish ancestry who converted to Catholicism on marriage. While he has a more positive outlook on life than Stephen, he has to confront troubles of his own, including the casual anti-Semitism he meets in everyday life, the memory of his son who died soon after birth, the fact that his wife is having an affair with another man, and the fact that his teenage daughter is now a woman and on the verge of her first serious relationship. Leopold Bloom also has a wandering eye that seems to land excitedly on every attractive woman he passes. Molly Bloom, his wife, is the daughter of a British army officer and a Spanish mother who was brought up partly in Gibraltar. She is a professional singer and must have seemed very exotic in the Dublin of the day. Although we meet her early in the novel, she is best known for the final chapter, which consists entirely of her stream of consciousness, including explicit thoughts of lovers, past and present. Anybody interested in Ulysses should listen to the podcast Rejoice by Frank Delaney. It's a weekly podcast that takes the novel page by page and explains much of the background and language. It's been running for about six years, and I understand that he hopes to finish it in another ten years or so. The reason that I enjoy reading Ulysses is the fact that it contains very detailed descriptions of the city that I know best, as well as historical and philosophical discussion of political issues in Ireland, many of which remain relevant today. But the reason that Ulysses came to the attention of the US courts was not the description of Dublin, nor the discussion of Irish political issues. It was because the novel contained passages that were considered obscene by the standards of the day, and many of which are pretty earthy even by today's standards. It includes descriptions of bodily functions, including defecation and masturbation, and many, many discussions of sex, including female sexual desire, which was definitely considered beyond the pale by many at the time. Ulysses was originally published in France in 1922, but it was in the 1930s that Random House decided it would like to publish it in the US. They didn't want to waste money publishing it, then having it banned, so they contrived to import a copy and have it seized by US customs on the grounds of obscenity, so that court might rule on the issue. The name of the case was The United States versus One Book Called Ulysses. 
The trial came before the Southern District Court of New York, where it was heard by Judge Woolsey. In order to avoid the matter being a lengthy jury trial, it appears to have been agreed between the parties that the judge would have hear a motion to dismiss the action and to determine whether the work was obscene or not. The judgment was delivered on the 6th of December 1933. The issue under Section 305A of the Tariff Act of 1930 was whether the book was obscene, as, if it was, the book could be made the subject of an order of forfeiture. At the outset of his judgment, Judge Woolsey says the following, I have read Ulysses once in its entirety, and I have read those passages of which the government particularly complains several times. In fact, for many weeks, my spare time has been devoted to the consideration of the decision which my duty would require me to make in this matter. Ulysses is not an easy book to read or to understand, but there has been much written about it, and in order properly to approach the consideration of it, it is advisable to read a number of other books which have now become its satellites. The study of Ulysses is therefore a heavy task. End of quotation. He then addresses the primary issue head on. If the conclusion is that the book is pornographic, that is the end of the inquiry, and forfeiture must follow. But in Ulysses, in spite of, it, in spite of its unusual frankness, I do not detect anywhere the leer of the sensualist. I hold, therefore, that it is not pornographic. End of quotation. To explain this decision based on previous case law, he says that he needed to decide two issues. The first was whether the author's intention in writing the book was pornographic. The second was whether it could, uh, could objectively be considered to excite lustful thoughts on a re reader with average sexual instincts. In relation to the first question, he writes about Joyce's intention in writing a book that shows the inner lives of the characters at the same time as describing their day-to-day -day transactions. He uses rather arcane language to describe the li literary style as follows. Joyce has attempted, it seems to me with astonishing success, to show how the screen of consciousness, with its ever-shifting kaleidoscopic impressions, carries, as it were on a plastic palimpsest, not only what is in the focus of each man's observation of the actual things about him, but also in a penumbral zone residua of past impressions, some recent and some drawn up by association from the domain of the subconscious. He shows how each of these impressions affects the life and behaviour of the character which he is describing. End of quotation. He then considers the passages that were the subject of objection from the government, as follows. It is because Joyce has been loyal to his technique and has not funked its necessary implications, but has honestly attempted to tell fully what his characters think about, that he has been the subject of so many attacks, and that his purpose has been so often misunderstood and misrepresented. For his attempt sincerely and honestly to realise his objective has required him incidentally to use certain words, which are generally considered dirty words, and has led at times to what many think is a too poignant preoccupation with sex in the thoughts of his characters. The words which are criticised as dirty are old Saxon words, known to almost all men, and, I venture, to many women, and are such words as would be naturally and habitually used, I believe, by the types of folk whose life, physical and mental, Joyce is seeking to describe. In respect of the recurrent emergence of the theme of sex in the minds of his characters, it must also always be remembered that his locale was Celtic and his season spring. End of quotation. In another passage, he says the following. As I have stated, Ulysses is not an easy book to read. 
It is brilliant and dull, intelligible and obscure by turns. In many cases it seems to me to be disgusting, but although it contains, as I have mentioned above, many words usually considered dirty, I have not found anything that I consider to be dirt for dirt's sake. Each word of the book contributes, like a bit of a mosaic, to the detail of the picture which Joyce is seeking to construct for his readers. End of quotation. He therefore concluded that Ulysses was not intended to be pornographic, and went on to consider whether it was objectively obscene. Rather oddly, in my view, he canvassed the views of two unnamed friends of his who had read, read the book, and asked them whether they considered it was likely to arouse sexual desire in the reader. To my mind, this was effectively the promotion of his friends to the status of expert witness. Whether this should rightly have been considered in evidence does not seem to have been addressed, either at that hearing or on appeal. He said the following, I was interested to find that they both, meaning his friends who had read Ulysses, agreed with my opinion, that reading Ulysses in its entirety, as a book must be read on such a test as this, did not tend to excite sexual impulses or lustful thoughts, but that its net effect on them was only that of a somewhat tragic and rather powerful commentary on the inner lives of men and women. End of quotation. In conclusion, he wrote, I am quite aware that owing to some of its scenes, Ulysses is rather a strong draft to ask some sensitive though normal persons to take. But my considered opinion after long reflection is that, whilst in many places the effect on, of Ulysses on the reader undoubtedly is somewhat emetic, nowhere does it tend to be an aphrodisiac. Ulysses may therefore be admitted into the United States, end of quotation, and end of judgment. In summary, Judge Woolsey concluded, first of all, that the intent of the author in writing it had not been pornographic. Secondly, he concluded that it was not objectively obscene, in the sense of tending to stir the sex impulses or to lead to sexually impure and lustful thoughts in respect of its effect on a person with average sex instincts. Following this decision, the matter was appealed by the government to the Federal Circuit Court, where it was heard by a three-judge court consisting of Augustus N. Hand, his cousin, the rather oddly named Learned Hand, who was a very renowned jurist, and Judge Martin Manton. The majority decision was delivered by Augustus Hand, with whom his cousin concurred. It was delivered on the 7th of August 1934. It has been suggested that the judgment was, was written in a deliberately dull manner because of the publicity surrounding the case, but it certainly contains interesting passages. There are, however, many sentences that are rather long and complex, so I do apologise to listeners if my reading of them is a little hard to follow. He started by saying the following. James Joyce, the author of Ulysses, may be regarded as a pioneer among those writers who have adopted the stream of consciousness method of presenting fiction, which has attracted considerable attention in academic and literary circles. In this field, Ulysses is rated as a book of considerable power by persons whose opinions are entitled to weight. Indeed, it has become a sort of contemporary classic, dealing with a new subject matter. It attempts to depict the thoughts and lay bare the souls of a number of people, some of them intellectuals and some social outcasts, and nothing more, with a literalism that leaves nothing unsaid. End of quotation. He then addressed the issue of obscenity and whether it was acceptable in its context. That long passages of Ulysses contain matter that is obscene under any fair definition of the word cannot be gainsaid. Yet they are relevant to the purpose of depicting the thoughts of the characters and are introduced to give meaning to the whole rather than to promote lust or portray filth for its own sake. 
The net effect even of portions most open to attack, such as the closing monologue of the wife of Leopold Bloom, is pitiful and tragic rather than lustful. End of quotation. He went on to say, In numerous places there are found originality, beauty and distinction. The book as a whole is not pornographic, and while in not a few spots it is coarse, blasphemous and obscene, it does not, in our opinion, tend to promote lust. The erotic passages are submerged in the book as a whole and have little resultant effect. If these are to make the book subject to confiscation, by the same test, Venus and Adonis, Hamlet, Romeo and Juliet, and the story told in the eighth book of the Odyssey by the barge Demodocus, of how Ares and Aphrodite were entrapped in a net spread by the outraged Hephaestus amid the laughter of the immortal gods, as well as many other classics, would have to be suppressed. Indeed, it may be questioned whether the obscene passages in Romeo and Juliet were as necessary to the development of the play as those in the monologue of Mrs. Bloom are to the depiction of the latter's tortured soul. End of quotation. Later in the judgment, he addressed an issue that had not been addressed by the trial court, the fact that certain books, such as medical textbooks, were immune from statutory provisions on obscenity. <clears throat> he said the following, We think the same immunity should apply to literature as to science, where the presentation, when viewed ob- objectively, is sincere, and the erotic matter is not in- introduced to promote lust, and does not furnish the dominant note of the publication. The question in each case is whether a publication, taken as a whole, has a libidinous effect. The book before us has such portentous length, is written with such evident truthfulness in its depiction of certain types of humanity, and is so little erotic in its result that it does not fall within the forbidden class. In conclusion, he wrote, we think that Ulysses is a book of originality and sincerity of treatment, and that it has not the effect of promoting lust. End of quotation, and end of judgment. In summary, therefore, Judge Hand concluded that a work of literature should be considered akin to a medical textbook. If obscene matter were found there that was justified by its content, it should not overall be considered an obscene work. The dissenting judgment of Judge Manton is also worth quoting, however, as it probably more accurately reflects the views of establishment Americans in the 1930s. He wrote the following, Who can doubt the obscenity of this book after a reading of the pages referred to which are too indecent to add as a footnote to this opinion. Its characterization as obscene should be quite unanimous by all who read it. End of quotation. Then, addressing the comparison with medical textbooks, he said, Ulysses is a work of fiction. It may not be compared with books involving medical subjects or description of certain physical or biological facts. It is written for the alleged amusement of the reader only. The characters described in the thoughts of the author may in some instances be true, but be it truthful or otherwise, a book that is obscene is not rendered less so by the statement of truthful fact. End of quotation. Going back to the purpose of the statutory provision, he wrote, Congress passed the statute against obscenity for the protection of the great mass of our people. The people do not exist for the sake of literature, to give the author fame, the publisher wealth, and the book a market. On the contrary, literature exists for the sake of the people, to refresh the weary, to console the sad, to hearten the dull and downcast, to increase man's interest in the world, his joy of living, and his sympathy in all sorts and conditions of men. The people need and deserve a moral standard. It should be a point of honour with men of letters to maintain it. 
Masterpieces have never been produced by men given to obscenity or lustful thoughts. End of quotation. As this was a dissenting opinion, however, the appeal was dismissed and the importation of Ulysses was allowed into the United States. The majority judgment in the case was an important development in the re relatively free publishing climate that is now enjoyed in the US and most Western countries. The issue of whether a book is obscene or not has, also, has always suffered from the fact that this is a largely subjective decision. In the US, the most famous quotation on the issue comes from Supreme Court Judge Potter Stewart, who in 1964 had to consider whether a particular French film constituted hardcore pornography. He said the following, I shall not today attempt further to define the kinds of material I understand to be embraced within that shorthand description, that is hardcore pornography, and perhaps I could never succeed in intelligibly doing so, but I know it when I see it, and the motion picture involved in this case is not that. End of quotation. In the UK, there was a restrictive publishing climate until the 1960s, when a high-profile trial allowed the novel Lady Chatterley's Lover to be published, and this opened the door to other works. In Ireland, there was a much more restrictive publishing regime than either Britain or the US. Irish independence was achieved in 1922, just as the time Ulysses was being published in France. One of the first acts of the newly independent state was to bring in legislation to censor, li censor literature, Almost all prominent Irish writers suffered under this legislation, including Edna O'Brien, Sean O'Foylon and John McGahern, until it was relaxed in the late 1960s. Curiously, Ulysses was never on the list of censored publications. The reason for this was that, it appears, nobody even tried to publish or sell it in Ireland, so it was never the subject of a formal complaint. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you have any comments, please see the Starry Decisis Radio Facebook page or Twitter account. And if you've enjoyed this programme, please tell your friends and colleagues about Starry Decisis Radio. Goodbye.